Amen. How many of you are ready for Thanksgiving? Can you believe it's Thanksgiving already? It just seems like we started the new year just a few weeks ago, and here we are already getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving and begin the uh, approach to Christmas. Thankful that you're here today. Um, We've been talking about our sermon series about God being good, and I, I would just say that there's probably no other time of the year that we're more aware of God's goodness than this time of year. Being thankful for the things that God has, has brought to us, and again, as we always try to do, you probably noticed in our, in our worship set this morning that one of the things that we are particularly thankful for is the grace of God. Are you thankful for the grace of God? By the way, our kids can be dismissed and go to children's church. Almost forgot it, but listen, I just told you I was going to do it. If you would go with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 17. Luke chapter number 17. I want to begin reading with verse number 11 familiar story, I'm sure, to most of us here, but it's the story of ten lepers. It says, while Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell down at Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do not change. Thankful, Lord, this morning that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're still our healer. You're still our savior. You're still our soon-coming king. And Lord, we just thank you that you are a constant in our lives in a world that's ever-changing. And we rely upon you today. Be with us in this message this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've always been amazed at how much preaching material can be found in the Peanuts comic strip. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I often, this is, this is absolutely accurate, often when I'm preparing a message and in need of an illustration, one of the first sources that I Google with whatever my topic might be is the Peanuts comic strip. I don't know what it was about Charles Schultz, but he, he just seemingly had a way of, of bringing real life applications through the form of a of a silly comic strip. I've just found that there's a lot of life lessons that can be found in that source, and 
And so, as I was searching for an illustration a couple of weeks ago when I was putting this message together, I, I once again Googled the Peanuts comic strip, looked for a while, and of course, if you're a Peanuts fan, some of you don't even know what comic strips are anymore, I don't think. But if you were a Peanuts fan, you, you know that Lucy has always been in love with Schroeder, Right? You know, Schroeder, the pianist. Lucy's always been in love with him. And as is often the case, Lucy Lucy is watching Schroeder play the piano. She's looking at him all Google-eyed, you know. She's in love. But he's totally oblivious to her feelings about him. And finally, she can't take it anymore. And she asks Schroeder, Schroeder, do you know what love is? And Schroeder stops playing and he says, love is a strong bond or attachment toward one another. A decision to act in their best interest. And then without another word or another thought, he returns to playing the piano. And in the next box for the comic, Lucy looks at the audience and says this, gee, on paper, Schroeder is just great. I wonder if sometimes we look good on paper, but the way that we live our lives don't measure up. Now, I know you're wondering how I got that from that strip, but in reality, To not really be living out what we are called to do and be is a matter of looking good in substance, but not quite so good when you see the reality of us. Several months ago, I went to my home church in Garden City to visit an old friend who was speaking at that church. And uh, we got to talking about our home churches, mine, of course, in Garden City, and his uh, somewhere in the state of Ohio. And as we were talking, he said that when he was a kid, his home church there in Ohio had a membership of over a thousand people. But as he was talking about it, he said, you know, my home church, mostly what we did was Sunday stuff. That's exactly what he said. Mostly what we did was Sunday stuff. In other words, that church, much like the one that I grew up in in Garden City, didn't reach out so much to the community around it. It was very inwardly focused and more like a club than a church. I don't mean that offensively, but you understand, I hope, what I mean. Tim went on to say, that eventually that church of his in Ohio lost its membership, got to the point where it almost had to close its doors. But then he shifted his thoughts once again and told me that that same church now is alive again. In fact, more alive than it's ever been. He said it doesn't have anywhere close to a membership of a thousand anymore, but they now have feeding events in their community every week. They're known in their neighborhood as a church which is racially friendly, open to all non-judgmental people, and a place 
where people can find the help that they need. And then almost as if on cue, the, the interesting part about the conversation is what I'm getting ready to tell you next. Almost as if on cue, both of us said almost exactly the same thing at the exact same time. And here's what we said. That's what church ought to be. That's what church ought to be. In our text for this morning from Luke 17, Jesus comes across ten lepers and thus confronts those with him and those who've gathered around them, around him with their worst fears and their deepest prejudices. Lepers were the scum of the earth. They were deemed to be unclean. They were set apart. They were, they were to be isolated and avoided at all costs. In the religious community, lepers were considered to be outcasts. They were, along with prostitutes and tax collectors and beggars, the very lowest on the social totem pole. And the only place where a leper was welcomed in those days was the smoldering dung heap outside their villages and towns where they stayed so that they could remain warm from the heat smoldering up from the the dung that had been piled up. But outcasts such as lepers somehow were the focus of Jesus' ministry. Lepers, prostitutes, dishonest tax collectors, they were the very ones whom Jesus seemed to target in his ministry. You see, the religious establishment of Jesus' day was more concerned with Ideas of who was in and who was out. And by that mean, I, I mean who was good enough to be a part of the church or the club and who wasn't. So we find Jesus and those who are traveling with him on this day on their way to Jerusalem. And in verse number 11, it indicates that they were traveling along the border between Samaria and, and, and Galilee. Now that would indicate to us the very first red flag in this entire story. The word Samaria throws up a red flag in and of itself because Samaritans were a despised group of people thought to be totally inferior to the people of Israel. Honestly, if Jewish people could have gotten rid of the Samaritans altogether, they would have. That's how much they were hated and despised. What do we do with people who are hated and despised. What do we do with people who the world has considered, or maybe even the church, considered to be the undesirables? What did Jesus do? What does Jesus call us to do? And if so, what are we doing it? Or, or not what are we doing? Are we doing it? Well, Jesus enters this village and these ten lepers, ten desperate outcasts of society, they come running up to Jesus, begging, Jesus, have mercy on us. So what does Jesus do? He shows them mercy. He tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were healed. Now, I want you to notice something that is not written in this text, but I think it's very important that we understand. There's an unwritten message that Jesus is sending. 
Now, you have to understand, first of all, that leprosy in that day was an uncurable disease. There was no such thing as no longer being a leper. Once a leper, always a leper. Uh, You had it until your body rotted limb by limb until you died. Now, the unwritten message that's here in this story that Jesus is sending to those who were his followers then, and I believe even more so to those of us who are his followers today, is this. In every village, every person in the village, every priest in the village's synagogue knew who the lepers of that village were. They knew. They knew that they were to reside outside of the village and not have contact with anyone. It was a law in those days that if a person came within 200 yards of a leper, the leper must yell out at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean, so that that person would not get any closer so that they themselves would not contract this highly contagious disease of leprosy. Now with all of that in mind, here's the unwritten message. When Jesus tells these ten lepers to go show themselves to the priest, you can imagine what a shockwave must have gone through the synagogue as they saw ten outcasts heading into the church building. I'm guessing when the priest inside his synagogue office looked out the door and saw ten lepers heading toward his office, I'm guessing he probably had a heart attack. Now, you don't see that in these scriptures, but the reason I'm bringing it to your attention is Jesus is sending these lepers to the priests of that day and to us today to tell us this, what are you going to do with the outcasts that I'm sending to you, church? My guess is that these ten lepers walked into that priest's chambers and announced that Jesus had told them to come to present themselves before the priest. And I'm guessing that after, they, after the priest recovered from the initial shock of having these lepers there in his chambers, the priest instantly developed even a greater hatred than what he already had for Jesus for sending them there. Now, I'm not jumping to any conclusions. The religious establishment of Jesus' day hated Jesus. They hated the message that Jesus was bringing. But there was one thing, however, that these priests could not ignore or argue with. And it was this. These ten lepers were all healed. They were no longer lepers because the Scripture told us that as they went... They were all healed. They had all come to Jesus for deliverance from this horrible disease, and Jesus gave them what they needed. But apart from that unwritten message sent by Jesus to his church, Dr. Luke then takes, us, takes this story in a, in a different direction. Out of the ten lepers who were healed... Luke says that only one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. Now, once again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke adds this. This one fell face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. 
Not just a leper, but a Samaritan leper, an outcast, a drag to society. The guy no one wants to come into contact with came back to thank Jesus for his healing. You know, there's, there's so much preaching material packed into these nine verses that I, I hardly know which trail I want to go down this morning. But I'll choose this one. Not only this, was this man a despised and feared leper, he was a hated Samaritan. Kind of a double whammy. It's kind of like the guy who said, I complained that I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. In other words, it's bad enough to come into contact with a leper or an outcast, but then to find out he's from Samaria. I, I, I remember that kind of feeling. You know, I, I went to school at Satanta, and, and as a Satanta school district alumni, we didn't have good feelings about people from Sublette. They were kind of the Samaritans of Haskell County, you know. It, it, would be like, it would be like me sitting down to share a meal with someone and thinking, you know what, they're not as holy as I am. But then to find out they're from Sublette in addition to that. That's kind of the same feeling that you get from this story Here's the, here's the thing. Jesus reached out to everyone. Everyone. Although we don't notice it so much in this passage, the unwritten message sent by Jesus to this priest was not only his way of bringing healing to these lepers, I think Jesus, being who Jesus was, was wanting to send a message to this priest. I'm sending these people to you, to your church. What are you going to do with them? Yeah, you know them as lepers. But you'll also notice that they who were once lepers are no longer lepers because they got their healing on their way to where I sent them. He's trying to send a message of inclusion, not just to the outcasts of society, but those who minister to the outcasts of society. Jesus wanted to get through to them so bad, but then, of course... Guess which group crucified him? It wasn't the outcasts. It was the religious people. They crucified him, but boy, did he ever reach out to them. They felt they didn't need him. They hated him, and they hated everything that he stood for. But the outcasts, on the other hand, the poor, the marginalized, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the lepers, those who were hated... All of those responded to Jesus on a much larger scale. Now, one of the biggest reasons, I think, that they responded to Jesus was that they knew that they needed help. You know, when somebody knows that they need help, they're not shy about asking for it. In addition, they responded to Jesus because he showed them love and mercy when no one else did. Showing love and care and concern will go a long way to bringing people to Jesus. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way. So it's the most important thing by a long, long shot, but still we find that there are some who do not respond when Jesus reached out. 
Luke tells us that when Jesus saw that only one leper returned to thank him, he replied, weren't there ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Then Jesus told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now this can and perhaps more accurately can be translated as your faith has saved you. Not only in the physical, but in the spiritual. When this Samaritan saw that he had been physically healed, he returned, or you can call it, he turned around from where he was going, and he went back to Jesus to thank him. That kind of turning around indicates that he responded to the grace that was offered to him by Jesus. It's a description, the same description, of a believer's reaction to the grace of God when it's given to us. We turn around, and we experience the healing that Jesus has for us. Not only was his body healed, his life was changed. His soul was healed for all time. He was now a follower of Jesus. He was now, as we would say, a Christian, born again, a new creation. The old gone, the new has come. Let me tell you something, friends. The reason Gary was baptized this morning is because Gary came to a point in his life, and I'm not putting words in Gary's mouth. This is things that he has told me. Things in his life that he knew needed to change. And he came to Christ, and Christ took all of those things. Washed the slate clean, and made him a new creation in Christ. And we symbolize that through water baptism, that we, when we go under the water, we come out new, we come out clean. That's the symbolism behind it. But again, back to my point about looking good on paper. I think that we humans too often take God's grace for granted. Uh, You know, sure, we want to be saved, and we may even think that if we recite the correct words, and make everything look good on the outside, then we must be a-okay with God. Can I just tell you something? It's kind of an insult to God if that's the way we are. That's a bit like the other nine lepers who were healed, but they didn't want anything more to do with Jesus after they were healed. They got what they came for. There's nothing else for them to go back and thank him for. But this one, he came back to thank Jesus and he got something much more than healing, excuse me, from leprosy. He got healing for his soul. He got healing that was going to ensure that he was going to be with Jesus forever, leprosy or not. Now, please don't take offense to this, what I'm getting ready to say, but to me, It's kind of like what we would call a one-night stand. It's kind of like using Jesus for what we want and then throwing him in the garbage once we get it. Do we really love Jesus if that's our response to his grace? Do we really love Jesus if we have no desire to worship and to thank him, which 
is the essence of worship? Have we really been saved if, 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 if we don't turn around like the one Samaritan leper who came back to Jesus and fell face down at his feet and gave thanks? Here's my point. To have faith is to live it. And to live it is to be thankful for it. How do we give thanks? Well, there's a number of ways. We give thanks by coming and doing what most of us here this morning are doing. We're coming to church not, not to fulfill some requirement. We are coming to church, hopefully, indicating, Jesus, I need more and more of you every day in my life, and I'm here for the purpose of getting that. By the way, if, you, if that's not the reason why you can't come to church, take my advice and start preparing yourself every week to come expecting you'll find you leave with a lot more if you come expecting a lot more. Amen? That was free. We give thanks by loving one another. By showing our love for one another in service to one another. We give thanks by being involved in the ministries of the church who has ministered to us. In that way, we are giving thanks by giving back. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer had an amazing understanding of what it means to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. He said, God's grace comes to us as a free gift, but it's not cheap. Costly grace, although it's free, is like a treasure hidden in a field, the pearl of great price. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his or her nets and follows him. And it's costly because it causes us, it calls us, excuse me, to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. And that is the only thing that will bring us true life, true salvation, true healing, and true meaning to our lives. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we were in our adult Bible study, and, and we were talking about this very issue. And I told them at the time that I couldn't scientifically prove this, although I believed it to be true. But after that Bible study, I came into the office the next day, and I started Googling. By the way, if you ever have a question about anything, there's no reason not to get an answer. You can find the answer. And so I started Googling to see if there were any scientific studies to, to uh, uh, affirm what I told them I believed. And it was a body of research that has tied the regular worship of God mixed with Christian service to the world with a number of positive emotional and physical benefits to our lives. Here, here's the results. Now this ought to excite you. People who regularly worship and serve God have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who do not, according to studies over the past decade. Oh, but it doesn't end there. They're less likely to be depressed, less likely to be envious, less likely to be greedy, less likely to have a problem with alcohol. They sleep more soundly. They exercise more regularly and have greater resistance to viral infections. Guess the exercise part hasn't clicked with me yet. <laughs> but it still doesn't end there. Researchers are finding that worship and discipleship 
brings similar benefits to children and adolescents. Studies show that kids who actively worship, who serve God and others, tend to be less materialistic, get better grades, set higher goals, complain of fewer headaches and stomach aches, and feel more satisfied with their friends, families, and schools than those who don't. I think I'm going to post that on social media this week, and I'll have this house full of parents next week. Now think about that, folks. That's one of the most amazing studies I've ever seen. But I believe that it's true. Why? Because Jesus said to the one leper who returned to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you whole or well. It's brought wholeness to your life. The Greek word that's translated there as get up is the same word used in the New Testament to describe Jesus rising from the dead. In essence, Jesus is saying to this leper, you've now been resurrected from the dead. Your faith has done this for you. Have you been resurrected from the dead? I hope so. In Ephesians 2, 4, Paul writes, But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. We're saved by the grace of God. The salvation, it's a gift. It's not as a result of something that, that we've done that we can be proud of, but it's God's accomplishment. Created in Christ Jesus to do good things. To have faith is to live it. And to live it is to be thankful. This is God's plan for our lives. Heard a story of two old friends. Bumped into one another on the street one day, and one of them looked kind of forlorn and dumpy and almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked, what? what's wrong? What's this world done to you, my friend? The sad fellow said, well, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, my uncle died, left me $40,000. Well, that's a lot of money, his friend replied. He said, yeah, but it doesn't end there. Two weeks ago, a cousin I never even knew died. Left me 85000 free and clear. <laughs> Again, the other one said, man, it sounds to me like you've been blessed. And he says, you don't understand. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited almost a quarter million dollars. Now the other friend's getting really confused by this time. And he says... So why then do you look so glum and depressed? And he says, because this week no one's died. I don't think I need to explain that to you. The trouble with receiving something on a regular basis, even if it's a gift is we eventually come to expect it. Now that's a great example of the entitlement mindset that has permeated American society at almost every level. We've been, we've been blessed to live in this land of plenty, and as a result, 
It's easy for us to become complacent, and many times we become completely unwilling to give thanks to anyone for anything. I'm sure you've heard it said that attitude is everything. Well, it's no different when it comes to the idea of thanksgiving. The attitude that we carry with us through life is of paramount importance if we are truly to live lives that demonstrate our gratitude toward God for His movement in our lives. Let me tell you what, that should be at the top of our thanks list this Thanksgiving season for what God has done in our lives, for resurrecting us from the dead back to life again. And let me close with just one more story. I'm not going to share the Scripture part for you. It's on your smartphones, or you can take time to read it later, but it's found in John 1 through 15, or excuse me, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. You'll recognize it to be the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. Pretty common story. If you read through that story and when you get done with it, you go down to verse number 25, you'll find the crowd that Jesus fed with those five loaves and two fishes have now followed him around the Sea of Galilee, wanting to know as to how Jesus is going to improve upon what he's already done. They had a need for food. And Jesus saw and he met that need, right? And they follow him all the way around the lake after it's over. And rather than recognizing the fact that what Jesus was really offering them was a solution to their real need, they were asking yet again to have a perceived need met. Now hold that thought. Jesus had to explain to them and remind them of the importance of what he was offering them through his teachings. And then he continues to teach them rather than meeting their need for food on a daily basis. When the masses demanded food, Jesus referred them to the fact that he was pointing them to spiritual food by the teachings that he was bringing to them. When these Jewish listeners were trying to grasp what Jesus was teaching them, he makes a connection for them. And this is found through verse number 34, that same chapter. He refers back to the manna from heaven that God provided for the Israelites uh, when they were wandering in the wilderness of Sinai for 40 years on their way to the promised land. This was demonstrating that God met their needs when they had a need. And again, Jesus turns the discussion to things of a spiritual nature. And, and they ask him to provide this food for them again. Now, in their minds, they're thinking bread. They're thinking fish. Jesus is trying to get through to them that he is the bread of life. If they will partake of him, if they will accept him, their real need will be met. Not the need that they perceive in their mind. Friends, it's sad to think that we as wayward children put perceived needs ahead of real needs. Jesus is the only real need that we have to live a life of eternal blessing. 
And yet we pursue cars, we pursue homes, we pursue trophy spouses, all manner of possessions. And in the process, we neglect the importance of returning thanks to the giver of all good gifts for the only thing that really matters. We've been blessed by God in too many ways to number. I was telling the crowd up at Liberal Springs the other night, if we were just to go around the room that night in that small group and talk about all the things that they were thankful for that God had blessed them with, we would have been there all night. We could do the same this morning. We could, we could go around this room and talk for all the, about all the things that we're really thankful for. And we'd be here for a long time. We've been blessed by God. But isn't it amazing that with all we've been blessed with, many times we want Jesus to give us just one more thing. To give us one more demonstration of his power. Lord, show up just again, just so that I can know for sure. It's almost as if those people, and sometimes we view Jesus' ministry among them or us as sort of a magic show. They or we aren't satisfied with the things he's already done to demonstrate to them, us, who he is and what it is that he's really come to do in each of our lives. It seems to me, friends, that it's well past time for us to believe in Jesus, in the Father who sent him. It's well past time for us to view him and the Father who sent him and to show our gratitude to them for what they've already given to us. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not feeling too blessed. Maybe you can't because of the cares of this life and the circumstances that you find yourself in. You can't see the gifts that God has given you. Maybe the pain in your life has overwhelmed you to the point where you can no longer see how blessed you really are. Or perhaps like so many others in this world, maybe you've been so blessed that those blessings, even those blessings don't look so good anymore. Whichever one of those possible realities you may seem to fit in, let me just tell you this morning, I don't have all the answers, but I do think we need to recognize the blessing of God. We need to give thanks to God. And do you know when our thanks is most important? When it's the most difficult for us to give. We make it out of a sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise. So as I close and as the worship team comes, I have a few suggestions for you this morning as we enter into Thanksgiving week. First of all, be thankful that you don't already have everything you want. If you did, you'd have nothing to look forward to. Next, be thankful when you don't know something that gives you the opportunity to learn. Be thankful for the difficult times because it's during those times that you grow. Be thankful for your limitations because they give you opportunities for improvement. Be thankful for each new challenge because each new challenge will bring, build strength and character. I like this one. Be thankful for your mistakes 
because they will teach you more valuable lessons than any textbook ever will. Be thankful when you're tired and weary because that means you've made a difference somewhere. I've stated over and over the past few weeks of this series how easy it is to be thankful for the good things. But a life of true fulfillment can come to those who are also thankful for their setbacks in life. As hard as it may be, find a way to be thankful for your troubles. And God has a way of taking our troubles and turning them into blessings. We live in this land of plenty that we're so grateful for. But it's my prayer as we go into Thanksgiving that we'll see through new eyes each new day the new ways that God continues to bless. And even more so that we will never take God or any of His blessings for granted. This year, may we see God for who He really is. See Him as being the source for what we really need, not what we think we need. People who need to give thanks for the giver of all good gifts. I'm thankful this morning that I have a relationship with the one who is the bread of life. Every hunger of my life, he satisfies. No one else can. Would you bow with me, please? Lord Jesus, so grateful to had the privilege of being born and to live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. So grateful, Lord, that we can come to a church building and gather together as your corporate body this morning without fear of being chastised for our faith, chastised for our worship. And yet, Lord, in in the midst of all of those blessings that we could go on and on and never, never account for them all. We here in America, Lord, have a problem that no one else on the face of the earth has to the degree that we have it. And it's that we have so much that we tend to take what we have for granted. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to see all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us again through new eyes, especially from this day forward. Lord, we just have so much to be thankful for. And at the top of every one of our lists who who are your followers is the fact that you've saved us. Your grace has set us free. It's wiped the slate clean and given us a brand new start. You've given us the promise of eternal life. You've given us the promise of abundant life as we draw closer and closer to you in this life. Lord, my prayer is that if there's someone in this room this morning that 
has just become so overwhelmed by, by life that it's caused them to become short-sighted of the blessings that you desire for them. That today would be their moment of healing. Just like this leper, Lord, who, who realized that he was healed and all he could think about was coming back to thank you for it and in the process of coming back and thank you for, thanking you for it you gave him healing that the other nine never experienced if you're here this morning and you need Jesus to give you what you really need rather than what you think you need just tell him that this morning just say Jesus you know my situation you know my current need and according to what pastors told us this morning you're the only one that can meet that need just ask him to meet your need today you don't necessarily need to raise a hand or come to an altar you can just tell Jesus that you have this need you realize it and you realize that he's the only solution for your issue and Lord Jesus for the rest of us in this room this morning Make us grateful. Help us to look at our lives and see all of the things that you have blessed us with. Not to have seeking eyes that need what needs what everyone else may have or what we don't have. But just to be grateful for what you've given us. Because in what you've given us, you've given us the greatest gift that we could have ever received.